everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. All right. Good morning. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate it. That was awesome. Classic. Love that. All right, how's everybody doing? Good, good, good to see uh, everybody here this morning. Um, make sure that you're here for the stuff that Jeff talked about. I want to see everybody here. I want to see y'all participating in the stuff we got going on for that worship night. We want to pack that place out. I told Jeff, I want each and every one of you to at least, to at least invite one person. Uh, we'd love for this to be um, uh, an opportunity for you to use this as an outreach as well. Uh, a lot of the things that we do... You know, we're, we're, we're blessed to have the resources and opportunities to do the things that we have here at Maranatha. Uh, I want us to not keep that to ourselves. Let's reach out to our friends or community and, and invite them to come. I expect to see a lot of people that I don't know. Uh, that, that's always awesome. Uh, today, I want to just get right into it. I don't want to keep you or hold you out for too long. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. It's the beginning of the book of Psalms. Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at the book of Psalms. We looked at chapter 23 specifically, where David paints two pictures of God. He paints him as uh, this good shepherd and also a, uh, a, in a, a host who is gracious and blesses those in abundance. Um, David, he's familiar with these roles as uh, having spent so much time as a shepherd in his uh, childhood and also then later becoming a king, he understands what that looks like and he identifies himself as a sheep to the good shepherd and also a guest to the, to the host and that is also extended to us. Uh, that's just one of the Psalms of many. There's 150 different chapters here in the book of Psalms and so they're quite, it's quite an extensive book. As a matter of fact, it's the largest book in the Bible, uh, if you were to try to summarize it, uh, it's been said, and I in large part agree with this, uh, that in order to kind of encapsulate the entire book of Psalms, you could essentially say this, that life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. And as you look within and throughout the book of Psalms, you see this time and time again. You see all different types of Psalms. You see in each of these Every human emotion, every human experience expressed in the book of Psalms. And today, as we look at uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 1, the first psalm that initiates all of these other psalms, um, we're going to see that. We're going to see how this kind of begins this book that is so beautiful and that I recommend you guys read over and pray these things. Uh, this psalm is anonymous. However, most people attribute it to David. As a matter of fact, if you look at the following verse or the following chapter, better yet, you see that that is a chapter that is, in fact, uh, recorded as being written by David. And so when you look at this chapter, you look at chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, they're almost uh, in conjunction with one another, a pair psalm, as it said. Uh, and so that is somewhat of an indicator that this potentially could have been written by King David himself, but... Nonetheless, I want us to look at this chapter and maybe identify a few things. Um, specifically, 
this morning we're going to be contrasting the righteous and the ungodly. Uh, as we'll go through this, you'll see it for yourself. You can read along with me now, or if you don't have your Bibles with you, that's okay. If you don't have it on hand, it'll be on the screen. This is what uh, Psalm 1 says. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by a stream of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. And the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now... If you look at this chapter in its entirety, again, you can see that uh, one section is dedicated to the righteous, the other hits home and addresses the ungodly. And so you see this comparing and contrasting. And the first thing that uh, the author does here is he talks about this righteous person, a, a blessed man. And that's what I want to start off by doing this morning, looking at this uh, first section here in verse 1. It says, blessed is the man, right? And he doesn't just start off by saying, uh, blessed is the man, here are all the things that uh, kind of characterize the blessed man or the, the righteous person. He, he talks about what the righteous person does not do. Um, the, the righteous person in this, um, in this psalm, right, when it says man, it's really just talking about somebody who is a representative um, uh, example of a godly person. And that blessed word there, it means uh, in the Hebrew language, in its original language, esher, which is happiness or contentment, which derives from the word ashar, which means to be straight and to be right. So when we see this and we try to picture in our heads what is a righteous person, it is somebody that finds joy and contentment in being right with the Lord, who is right with God, who is straight with God. And it goes on, it talks about what this blessed person does not do. Uh, this is incredible because uh, for us, this is good news, right? There's no qualifications or any prerequisites that are listed here for this righteous person. This righteousness that we see, blessedness, can be for all. It is for all. It's attainable by all, whether you're poor, you're rich, um, white, Hispanic, Latino, uh, wherever you're from, what language you speak, it doesn't matter. You can experience this, and you can be made right with God. And so, wherever you're at today, hopefully this is an encouragement to you as we go along, but we'll see here, the one thing that he does say is what they do not do. And he says that following that, he says, walk in the counsel of the wicked. They do not stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, as we look at this righteous person, we see these three things, and it's very clear to us, uh, almost as though a um, progression of sin. You see first that he says, uh, a blessed person will not walk a certain way. There's a certain path they will not stand in. There's a seat they will not sit in. Right Again, we see this ungodly progression, or uh, as I've read, it said in commentaries, the successive stages of deterioration. 
right? You start off by wandering, and you find yourself walking down this path. And after you start walking down this path, now you begin to uh, associate with the people that are also walking on this path. You start to uh, come alongside them. You start to align with them, to be in alliance with them, to eventually only to be seated at the same seat as them or the same table as them. And, and that, what that means is now you're an established member of that group. To be seated there, it, it's to be part of them. Right? You're not just associating with them. You're not just uh, some kind of spectator or companion in that sense. You are now one of them yourself. And this is that chain or that progression that we find for somebody that is ungodly. But as we see, the righteous person does not do these things. And I want to address each and every one of these steps individually. I'll look at this progression and, and try to identify how we can combat this or what the solution is for us. Uh, how we should tackle these things. And the first thing that we see again is that the righteous person does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, this word counsel, it means to receive advice from in the original language as well. It talks about uh, receiving plans from somebody. That's what this word counsel means here. And what we see is that the righteous person, they know to stay away from the counsel of the ungodly. Uh, today, it seems as though that just about everybody wants to tell you what to do, what to say, what you should believe, how you should look, how you should act. And, and they uh, try to force it on you or um, encourage you to believe it even uh, by isolation. Whatever means necessary, they try to impose these things on people in our culture today. And the righteous person, they know to stay away from such counsel, from ungodly counsel, ungodly advice. But in order to do that, we need to learn three things. We have to understand three basic things in, in avoiding such kind of counsel. The first is you have to learn to identify. Right? You can't not listen to ungodly counsel if you don't know it when you hear it. Um, who here has somebody in their life that... Uh, whether it's a family member or a friend, you can't believe a word that they say. Yep. I, I have a cousin, and I love him to death, but that dude is a notorious liar. I can't, I can't believe a word that he says, uh, and it's his own fault. Um, my cousin, he, um, he's the kind of guy that will tell you something, and he doesn't really sound believable at all or ever. Um, he may say something to you, and for me, I just know him so well, I'm like, that's not true. You kind of have to fact check everything that he says. And even when he says something that's absolutely true, it doesn't sound like it is. Um, but he is a notorious liar, like I said. He's the kind of person that will say, hey, I'm on my way. And typically, when you say you're on your way, that means you're in your car, you're driving somewhere, and you're driving and headed in the place or the location that you're scheduled to meet. His on my way just simply means I've started to get ready. Right? It just means, oh, I might be taking a shower now, but I'm beginning to be on my way. And so you can never know with him. And he has this, he's infamous for this. He has this horrible reputation of being a liar. Um, now, 
what happens if he shows up late or he tells me he's on his way and, you know, it's an hour later and he's supposed to be somewhere that's only 10 minutes away from his house and he doesn't show up on time and I'm disappointed and I constantly am disappointed. I constantly keep believing him, taking his advice, his word for it. I'm like, hey, can you pick me up? Can you take me? If I become dependent on him and relying on him, is that his fault? Yes, in part, but also my fault. I know that he is not trustworthy. And yet, why would I choose? So why would I choose to keep following or depending on this person for, for advice, for help with my plans? When we think about um, just that aspect of it or just life in general, it makes complete sense to us. That, that, that seems totally fair that we would not trust that person, that we would discard that person's uh, opinions on those particular matters. And yet, time and time again, constantly we, we go to these people with ungodly counsel and, and we take it and we actually run to it. We prioritize their counsel. We have to learn how to discern and understand what is counsel that we should listen to and what is not. Um, not to... Uh, not to become reliant upon people who um, don't have a relationship with the Lord, who, who won't point you in the direction that God desires for your life. So often we don't even consider if the counsel that we receive is godly or ungodly. We just say, oh, that, that sounds great. And sometimes it sounds like it's godly, and it's not. Sometimes it may sound good, it sounds beautiful. And even the ungodly sometimes say things that, you know, sound good. But is that your priority? Is that your main source of encouragement? Is that your main source of wisdom? Is that where you go to? Is that where you run to when you need advice? When you're looking for, for answers? I, I want to encourage you when you hear something, when you are seeking counsel, when you are in the midst of Council, I want you to consider if what you're hearing actually aligns with God's word. Does it match up with what God wants for your life? And if it doesn't, that's a great indicator that you probably shouldn't listen to that. The second thing is not just identifying it, but you have to learn how to reject it. You have to learn how to reject it. Because this should be a wake-up call for us. Sometimes ungodly counsel doesn't just come from ungodly people from the outside, but it also comes from within. A lot of the times we struggle with anxiety, with doubts. A lot of these things, these lies, they creep up from within us, and we tend to believe it. They tend to influence the way that we act and our attitude. And we have to learn how to reject that impulse, to, to, to feed into the lies that the enemy you know, uses within us. You have to learn how to identify it, to reject it, and you have to learn how to find the opposite. Learn to find the opposite, which means you have to learn and know how to find completely godly counsel. In Psalm 119, 24, it says this, your testimonies are my delight, and they are my counselors. You want good advice? Do you want good advice for your life? I have a good recommendation for you. I have maybe the best recommendation for you, God's Word. 
the righteous person does not just uh, get guidance from, um, you know, secular media, you know, the, the Andrew Tates of the world, the Jordan Petersons of the world, right? Oh, yeah, well, I need advice. Let me go to this guy. He knows what he's talking about. Or let me go to this girl. They, she knows what she's talking about. And we, we, we make that the main source of what we're relying upon to build our lives and our character on. You know, again, some of these things might sound appealing, and they might even in some ways be right, but not totally. Don't run to those things. Don't run and, and go to these places, these resources, these people, unsaved people. Your friends are great, and they might help you, but why do we so often become totally reliant on people that don't even have a relationship with the Lord? We seek them. When we're struggling with doubt, when we're struggling with um, purity, when we're struggling with um, whatever it is, anxiety, depression, rather than actually going and seeking godly counsel, we go to those places. And we should be following, when, out, when in all reality, we should be following the example of Jesus. Jesus, time and time again, you see that throughout his life here, he is constantly praying in communication with the Father. And he knows the will of the Father for his life. In the same way as a Holy Spirit-filled child of God, we too should walk in the commandments of God. The thing that we also see here after that is that they do not stand in the way of sinners. They do not stand in the way of sinners. Now, to explain this, let me tell you a quick story. When I first got here, when I came to Ohio about two years ago, um, a few of my friends, some of the pastors I work with, they decided to go to North Canton and watch a movie, right? So we went to North Canton, Tinseltown. You've probably been there. You've probably driven there, most of you. A lot of you have. And if you haven't, let the story be a caution to you. Be careful. Um, so I'm driving. I've never driven there before, and it's nighttime, so cut me some slack. Um, it's also pretty confusing. If you've driven there, you know what I'm talking about. I get off the exit. I turn right at the light, and then I drive up the hill, and I'm going to turn left onto the strip. If you know what I'm talking about, you know. Now, at that light, there's a fork in the road. There's about, like, four different lanes that you can get on. And I, you know, never driven there before. It looks like I'm getting on the right lane when I turn left. So I turn left, and it didn't take me very long to find out that I was in the complete wrong lane. Um, there was a car that was coming. As soon as I turned around, I realized there was headlights in front of me, which was a pretty good indicator that that was not the right lane. Uh, thankfully, the other person was gracious enough to slow down and maybe go to the side just a little bit. After we got past that little curb in between, I jumped on the other side, gave him a little tap with the head being, or the headlights and gave him, hey, my bad, didn't know. Honestly, not my fault, though, because it's a pretty trash setup that they have there. Anyways. <laughs> See? If it happens twice, hey, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, blame the people that made it. Um, now, hear me out here. The point is this. Very quickly... Very quickly did I know this is not where I should be. I realized, again, very, 
very fast that this was the wrong lane. And likewise, similarly, the righteous person knows that there are different paths. There is a path that sinners, that people who do not know the Lord, they walk on. And they know not to stand and walk in that path. They know where they belong. The righteous person, they don't take that road. Instead, the road that the righteous person takes, it is narrow. But although it is narrow, it is one that leads to joy. It is one that leads to life. You see here in Psalm 16, 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The path of the righteous person is, again, less traveled. It is less traveled, but it does lead to joy and it leads to life. And lastly here, we see that they do not sit in the seat of scoffers. They do not sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, you know, unfortunately, I think it has become pretty popular today to uh, reject or blaspheme God to dishonor God, to disrespect God, the things of God, Um, not take it seriously, um, joke around about it, to mock it, to criticize it, criticize Christians. And unfortunately, you know, uh, that happens because us as Christians, believers, are not perfect. Uh, Believe it or not, we are not perfect. And so some of the things that uh, they might use to mock or criticize may have some truth within them, but the righteous person does not contribute to that mockery. They don't, they don't partake in it. Remember, again, the progression. This is like the last step where you just become a part of it. You know, whether it is through social media, whether it's online, or better yet, whether it's in person. You know, for example, imagine you're presented with an opportunity. Right, to either join in when your friends are teasing or mocking somebody because they're a believer and they've committed to purity. And they're like, well, you know, I have a relationship with somebody, but I know that the Lord has reserved, um, reserved this for my marriage and I want to be pure and I want to honor God with my relationship. And what tends to happen is in these friend groups, especially in the guys that know me, and I know this because I was in your shoes before, and, and, and girls, I wouldn't even stem as far as saying it's not the same for you because I'm sure that it is. But you're like, oh, well, you're, you're saving yourself. You're not doing this or you haven't done this yet. Wow, that's crazy. And they make fun of individuals for doing that. Are you somebody that joins in on that? Do you participate in mocking that? Or do you just stand by do you listen? Do you, do, you, do you stand there and don't say anything? You're just a bystander. Or, or like a righteous person, do you actually stand up for that individual? Do you stand up for what is right? Do you know that that is what you should do, your responsibility? And you walk away, even if it costs you that friendship, right? All of a sudden, they're not your friends anymore because you don't believe the same things or it's not convenient to them anymore. It's not worth it. When you're presented with those opportunities, what is it that you do? Because a spirit-filled, uh, spirit-filled Christian 
They don't delight in, in sitting amongst those things, those immoral conversations, uh, immoral paths, right? They don't indulge in those things. They don't participate and linger around those who have purposely shunned the Lord. They don't delight in that. They don't seek to have fellowship with those who mock or insult the holiness of God in their speech and in their behavior. They're not desperate to be around those people, to be accepted by those people, to be praised by those people. Instead, instead Christians, those who are righteous, the people that he is indicating here, the people that he is talking about, they seek to be amongst the children of God, to be in fellowship with those who are born again. Again, in, it, it is very true. The, the people you hang around tend to be a good reflection of the people that we are. I want you to be honest with yourself and think that, and think about that. Consider that. Next, we see here as uh, we get past this stage of what they do not do, um, the beginning of this contrast. And I want to go through this quickly, um, but... Uh, in verse 2, we see uh, a positive trait of a righteous person. This is what verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord, what he's saying here, is not just the books of the Bible and when they reference the law specifically, but he is talking about all of God's word in its entirety. So everything that he had, the psalmist had at his disposal that was the word of God, all of it is the law of the Lord in this sense. And so when we talked about last week, hypothetically, what makes you happy, right? I, I kind of just threw that question out there. A lot of the answers that we give uh, tend to be things that are okay and they're good in and of itself. They're not bad things, but um, they fall short. The righteous person, he delights in God's word, in God. Um, and how do you know you delight in those things? How do you know you delight in the word of God? Right, that's the question. It's okay, well, a righteous person does so, but how do I know that that's me? Well, let me phrase it this way, or let me give you another example. Nobody has to beg me to go play soccer. Nobody has to ask me twice to go play soccer because I love to play soccer, and I'll be there. You just tell me where it is, the time and place, and I'm there. Nobody has to beg me to eat a chocolate chip cookie because that's my weakness, and I'll eat any of them. Even when I know I shouldn't, I still do because I delight in that. I enjoy it. I seek it out. Nobody's got to force it upon me. Nobody's got to tell me to do it. And when I do it, I'm not like, oh, no, what am I doing? All this stinks. No, I love it. In order to identify it, um, let's put it this way. You don't have to beg somebody to do something. You don't have to beg somebody to read God's word, to meditate on it. I think that's a good measuring stick for us to understand whether or not we delight in the word of God. And maybe that, maybe that doesn't necessarily um, characterize you. Maybe if you're honest, well, man, I, I don't know if I do delight in God's word. The truth is, honestly, that in some part, we, in some way, um, we, we all struggle with that. And so I don't want this to be condemning for you. I don't want to condemn you with this, with this challenge. And I don't even want you to condemn yourself. But what you do as a result is through that honest, you know, 
reflection of yourself to come to God and ask those things of him. Hey, Lord, give me a delight for your word. Help me hunger for your word. Give me a desire to be in your word, to be in fellowship with you. And not just to read it, to hear it and kind of forget about it, but meditate on it. To remember it, recount it, ponder it. Think about the words, the meaning. Actually apply the stuff that we're learning here. Apply the stuff that you read. Don't just do it to check off a box or whatever it is. Seek to put it into your life. Make it a part of your life. Apply God's word. The righteous person does. In verse 3 it says this, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. And the leaf does not wither, and all that it does, he prospers. Geographically speaking, when he's talking about this, he's talking about the predominantly dry land that is in Israel, right? There's not a lot of rain, especially not enough for plants and and trees, for this matter, to flourish and to grow. And so when he's talking about here, he's talking about this Middle Eastern method of cultivation where they would artificially make these streams to flow around these trees in order for them to receive the constant supply of moisture that they need in order to grow, to flourish. And these trees were always beautiful. Their leaves were beautiful. They always were fruit-bearing. And we see here that the the godly person, the, the one that is righteous, you can't produce fruit on your own. You have to seek it from the source. In order to produce fruit that is pleasing to God, you are dependent upon Him. You are dependent upon the resource that is the Holy Spirit who He waters, right? The planted Word of God in you. And He cultivates that through prayerful reading, through meditation, through, um, uh, through service. And through that we can yield fruit. Yield fruit in its season. It's not always where you always have this bountiful and abundant uh, fruit, but when, when you need joy, it bursts forth. When there are storms of life, you'll find peace. Patience when, when that is needed. And you can yield fruit because of Christ. Not just fruit, but the leaf, right? It says that the leaf is beautiful, that it is green, it's lush. Uh, The leaf here is the outward testimony of the righteous person, the godly individual, the one who walks in step with the Spirit. This person is like an evergreen tree. Their leaves do not wither. Uh, There's no weather. There's no storm. Nothing can, can change the leaves. The leaf is consistent. It does not wither because of the water of eternal life that has sprung within it. And so the question is for you, how much of Jesus do you display? Is that evident in your life? Is there fruit in your life? Can you see it? The leaf, your outward appearance, and and, and is that a reflection on what's going on inside? That's different, totally different than what we see in the ungodly person. I'll wrap here really quick. The ungodly person is not like this beautiful, lush tree. The ungodly person, it says here, that they are like chaff. That the wind drives away. And if you worked at a farm, you might know what chaff is. But chaff is the the bit on the end of wheat, right? It's the shell that stands and covers the actual grain on wheat. 
And it's this delicate material that covers it, but it's completely useless to some degree. And in order to use the grain, in order to actually give it purpose, you have to get rid of that chaff. And so what do you do? It's so, it's so worthless or delicate, as I mentioned, that all you have to simply do is just throw it up in the air and the wind actually blows it away. <laughs> There's absolutely no stability. It just withers away, which is a complete contrast of the stable and strong tree that we see that the righteous person is. The ungodly person is unstable. They are like chaff that is blown away by the wind. There's no substance. And that's, again, a complete contrast to the image of the plentiful tree that we get for the righteous. And on the day of judgment, the ungodly will be found lacking. This is true in the future that is to come and also for the believer today. Um, the way, the path to God is open for everybody. Again, let me go back to what I said in the beginning. The righteous person, that, that can be anybody in this room. The Lord's made a way to, to save you and, and, and to, to make you whole again, to make you righteous. And it's not anything that you do, but it's all that he's done for you. Maybe you are on a path already where you have a relationship with the Lord. But you need to be encouraged and challenged by these things. Some of you are going to different schools. You're graduating. You're moving to a different place. Maybe some of you are uh, leaving and you don't have the accountability here. You're going to be tempted to want to make friends, new friends, to impress them. And sometimes we do whatever it takes and we completely disregard what God has called us to. Don't do that. Don't forsake the relationship that you have with the Lord for the sake of, uh, of man or um, for a relationship or whatever it is. When, when you're away and you need counsel, I want to encourage you to not run to different things, go to different places, different people um, ahead of the Lord. That is your priority. Make that a priority in your life. It's not to say that other people can't give you advice, and they do. People give you good counsel to some extent. But I'll tell you what, don't use that um, over or as a replacement to God's word in your life. Or wise counsel. Those who are walking with the Lord. And if you don't have a relationship with God, maybe you are on a path that is uh, leading to death not leading to life and not with joy, I want to tell you again that there is an entrance, although it is narrow and it is difficult to find, it is only one, and it is Jesus. And you can have a relationship with again, with him again. If that's you and you haven't experienced a relationship with him, if you haven't repented and you don't have um, security of eternal life alongside Jesus, please find me after this. I'd love to talk with you. But hopefully that's an encouragement to you. Not just if you are leaving, but to go back to reevaluate when you're at home, when you're at school again. Um, there is the righteous man and there is the ungodly person. Who are you? Which are you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for this time that we have to be gathered together to open up your word, to be challenged by the psalmist this morning. I pray that uh, as we step out of here, Lord, that we would be encouraged, challenged. Um, 
to take these things to heart. Um, Lord, I pray that as uh, we head on home, we would reevaluate our lives, look at our own lives, and be honest with ourselves, look at our circle of friends, look at the people that we seek guidance from and counsel from, and, and really be honest and, and vulnerable with you, Lord. We thank you again for this time. I pray that as we head on out, we have a great rest of the day, and we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Everybody said amen.